0: This is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast with my co-host, Frank Santopadre. Our guest this week is a writer, an Oscar-nominated director, an Emmy-nominated performer, and one of the most prolific, visible, and admired actor of the last 50 years. You've seen this man's face on one screen or another your entire life in dozens of classic television shows, including All in the Family, MASH, The Mary Tyler Moore Show, Rhoda, Happy Days, Murphy Brown, Amazing Stories, L.A. Law, Picket Fences, Girls, The Good Wife, Orange is the New Black, Transparent, and, of course... As Ann Romano's long suffering boyfriend, David Kane, in a series produced by his friend and mentor, Norman Lear, One Day at a Time. He's also acted in TV movies such as Fallen Angel, Adam, When the Bow Breaks, The Burning Bed, receiving an Emmy nomination for that role. And he's appeared in over 80 feature films, including Semi-Tough, Who Stopped the Rain, Heaven's Gate, Under Fire, The Thing, Risky Business, Heartburn, The Believer, Six Degrees of Separation, Shoot to Kill, My Girl, and Multiplicity, just to name a few. His latest film is called Before, during, after, and he's very funny in it. He's also appeared on the Broadway stage in productions of The Changing Room, Democracy, and Nora Ephron's Lucky Guy. And from 1995 to 1999, he fought for the rights of his fellow actors by serving two terms as president of Screen Actors Guild, and uh, I intend to ask him why I never got my residuals from Funky Monkey. Please welcome to the show one of our favorite actors and a man who says he used to be the youngest actor on the set, now he's the oldest actor on the set. The talented and versatile Richard Masser.
1: Hey, Gilbert, how you doing?
0: Hi. Now I don't know if you remember this, uh, but uh, we we sat next to each other on a plane. I do. Yeah. It
1: was exciting for me. <laughs> <laughs> You're always exciting, Gilbert.
2: You, we we figured we figured out that Gilbert sat next to you, Mike Nesmith, who produced a movie you were in. Yes, he did. Time, time writer and who else? Gilbert, George Carlin, uh, and uh, uh,
0: John Leguizamo. John
2: Leguizamo. So you you, you should book and, people on planes.
0: And I didn't sit next to, but sat two uh, uh, rows down from Carl Reiner. Nice. So so that I'll put in.
1: Nice. <laughs> I I once sat next to. Um... Um, uh, George Clooney on a plane. Nice. Uh, we had a great visit. Also, uh, we knew each other from when I was actually from when I was president of the union. Um, George uh, George is a great supporter of uh, SAG-AFTRA and then Screen Actors Guild before that. Um, and uh, um, I've, I've I've sat next to a bunch of other people, but I can't remember them right now. I don't know if that happens to you. I'm, I all, think a little older time. than you are, But, uh, but okay. more
0: and more <laughs> yes, it's more happening more. to me. Yes. And now also a short while ago, my wife was looking at uh, my medical things and uh, financial. And, and she had figured out that I would never have to pay a dime for a doctor ever again uh that changed. <laughs> yeah.
2: Starting off on a downer, huh, Gil?
0: Yes. <laughs> Do you think that will ever go back?
1: Well, uh, Ed, let me let me point out first of all, um it, it was never the case that you were never going to have to pay a dime. You were always going <laughs> to have to pay some dimes. Um number 1. Number 2, uh, if you want me to go into this I can I can do the entire show on this topic alone oh, but okay. probably not.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and how did you first go into show business?
2: Weren't you pre-med,
1: Richard? I was. I was um I I boy, you do your homework, Frank. That's scary. Um, I do what I can. Yes. Um so I went to the State University of New York at Stony Brook and I was uh I was Yeah, I was always planning to be a doctor, and they didn't have a pre-med major, so I was majoring in biology, and um, it was a big science school. Well, it was a small science school, but it was very heavily invested in science when I got there. And um, so I had to take calculus. I had to take a, a science other than biology my freshman year, and for some insane reason. I also signed up for Russian and uh, which was like the hardest aside from Mandarin. It's like the hardest it's a whole different alphabet. I you know and, and all the sounds are in the back of your voice like this. It's a very difficult. Language. So so uh, I remember the first conversation though. Privetnina вы Dyotje Non rock yet yeah I do not post to post which is hi uh, 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 Nina, how you doing? And uh, he says, do you want to come with me to the store? And she says, no, I'm going to the post office to mail a letter. So I know this. Much Russian from that first year. Anyway, (laughs) I I kind of... (laughs) You retained it. And and I also took anthropology, which ended up being my major, by the way, because I loved anthropology. But in that that freshman year, in the winter, on a snowy, cold night, a guy that I knew, a guy named Jim Kennedy, was going to audition for a production of Our Town. Now, Stony Brook was a brand-new school, they built a Van de Graaff generator, which was a particle accelerator, because they were trying to attract this Nobel Prize winner, C.N. Yang, to come to the school, and they did, which really put them on the map. But they had not built a theater, um, so the theater was in a wrestling room that was part of the gym, and the ceiling was like 10 feet tall. It was the weirdest space to have a theater in, and it was a black box, a little tiny low ceiling black bots with some risers. So I go there with Jim. It's really cold. And we I sit in the back and I'm waiting until he finishes and he does the audition. Everybody's done. And the director looks up and looks at me and I'm this big hulking guy with long hair and a beard. And she said, you want to audition? I said, not really. And she said, no, come on, read something. And I said, all right. So I read something. I don't remember what. I think it was Mr. Gibbs or uh, uh, Dr. Gibbs or Mr. Webb. I don't remember, um, but those parts were already cast. So she offered me. The director offered me the part of Howie Newsome, the milkman, and um, I I took it. And then I started doing theater. When I told my, and this is the God's honest truth, and she should rest in peace. But when I told my parents I went home and I told them I was dropping out of college to take a job at a theater and they said why are you dropping out and I said because I I I I I uh, want to be an actor and uh and, and and she said my mother who was the, the most liberal woman who ever lived she was a school teacher in the mm-hmm. Bronx and she the a gay couple moved in across the street from us in Yonkers and she was the only person in the entire block but she and my father who invited them over for dinner immediately. You know, that's, and so when I said I wanted to be an actress, she said, you know, if you do this, you're going to turn out to be a homosexual. (laughs) And I said,
3: I said, I said
1: to her, have you met me? (laughs) Have you met me? Because I don't think that's in the cards. I mean, it would be okay if it was, but I don't think we're going that way. Turns out my sister did turn out to be a lesbian, which my mother had no way of knowing at the time. So you call call this stuff down on your head. And I'm not saying anything that anybody in my family would would be embarrassed about my saying. I want to underscore
2: that. Of course. Of course. You know, Norman became your mentor uh, of sorts.
1: Oh but, well, Norman was my godfather. I mean, he he saw me in uh, in the changing room. He he invited me to. Uh, to he offered me the part um, of um, the, a part in a pilot that that ended up not, never getting made. He was. Do you remember on All in the Family? There was a couple that lived next door, the Lorenzos. By, yeah, Vince Gardini and Betty Garrett. Right, and they were role reversed. Like he cooked and he baked, and she was a plumber and right. a handy person. So that he was going to spin them off and he wanted me to play their son. So I would be this kind of this product of this role reverse family. And um and it was all set. I was uh, you know I was supposed to do it in a February of 1974 and um and I got a call in November or maybe December my agent called and said they're not doing the pilot. I said what happened and he, and they said Vince Vince uh, dropped out he didn't want to do it.
2: Gardenia. Yeah, yeah. and the, yeah. and he
1: didn't, and Norman wasn't going to, and my huge regret was that I never got to work with Betty who I just thought the world of. I from the minute I first saw her in on the town mm-hmm. I was in love with this woman. I didn't care about Ann Murray, I didn't care about <laughs> um uh, what's her name the blonde uh, uh oh god I'm Sally embarrassed. Struthers no, 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 no. The blonde in, in uh on the town. Um oh God, was it? Uh, you have to look at it. I'm up, only
2: right? thinking Jules Munchen is the only one that comes to mind. Right. Jules is not the woman. <laughs> Betty the Garrett, right, Gene Kelly. Uh, 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 It'll Frank come Sinatra. to me. It'll come um, to me. Yeah, yeah.
0: Now now you're one of those actors in that category That's me. Of, oh that's that
1: actually my but that's my that's my yeah. official <laughs> equity name. Oh, that guy. And I've I've stuck with it because it would be confusing <laughs> to change it.
2: Yeah. Vera Ellen from uh, White Christmas. Vera Ellen, thank right. you. That's right. And Ann Miller.
0: So, how do people react to you when you're walking down the street? Well, it's
1: here's the thing. When I first um, when I first uh, when I did the Hotel Baltimore, uh, which was the first series I did. Um, which was a great another that was Norman also with that. Uh-huh. and that he just offered me that that was an amazing experience. Um, it, um, uh, th- that's a really long story. I won't go through all that. But but when I did the hotel Baltimore, uh, some people would 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 spot me. But the show wasn't a huge hit. It was had a wildly um, um, uh, what's the word a loyal audience mostly of college kids but abc ran the show on friday night and we lost a lot of audience to dates you know because friday was the worst night to have a show that the college kids liked so they moved us to thursday eventually but it was too late by then and they put us up against the rockford files which was horrible but okay um, you got killed um,
2: by the rockford files yeah
1: totally (laughs) anyway but um So, so that the hot of Baltimore, I didn't get much off of, but when I did one day at a time, that was a giant hit. And after the first 15 episodes, which was the first half season, I basically, I was off the show. I mean, I went, uh, I told Norman that I didn't think the character was sustainable as we were doing it. And he came to me and he said, you were right. And I think uh, we, I want to figure out a way to fix it. And I said, no, you should write me off the show. And uh, he said, now I had an all-shows-produced contract, which was a really good contract. And back then, that meant 24 episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, um, it was a lot of a lot of shows. And uh, no, I lied, 22, 13 and 9, 22. And um, uh, so Norman had to, if he wanted me to come back and do one episode, he had to pay me for 22. So he says so i i'd like you to give me uh i'd like you to give me 12 shows and i said no i said i'll give you two i'll come back and do two so you can write me off he said 10 i said two he said eight i said two uh, i said six he said uh, he said six i said two and finally said four i said okay i can't be a total asshole i'll say four uh so i did four four more episodes and and I said, I said to him, the only requirement I have is you have to kill me. I said, what do you mean? I said, I want to have a, I want to, I want to die on camera, so you can never bring me back, like Henry uh, Blake. Yeah, I said, I, I need, He refused to do it. Anyway,
2: let's jump around, Richard, because you're you're also in, and Gilbert and I were discussing this. You're also in a legendary picture a movie that changed the way business was being done in Hollywood the way films were being made in Hollywood and that's heaven's gate yes chimino's uh famous or infamous uh picture which by the way I went back and rewatched and I agree with you there's so many wonderful things about it and I, and I I think much the way ishtar is is much maligned is right. is unfairly maligned this picture is unfairly maligned well I
1: I think this is a better picture than ishtar in yeah, my I, opinion I, but I just <laughs>
2: meant I just meant in the same way that they're both dismissed <laughs> right as as yeah. as mega bombs right
1: and 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 but the reason for it was michael um and and this is why look he wrote a brilliant script just an absolutely breathtakingly wonderful script then he won the academy award for deer hunter
2: mhm
1: while and he was this, in production
2: right while he was in no, before, before before yeah
1: and and this just before and this 17 million dollar picture became a $35 million picture overnight and then while we were shooting it, it became a $50 million picture, which was many times most, you know, an average high-budget film at that point was $7 million. So, this was insane. Uh, We shot a million and a half feet of film on Heaven's Gate. Apocalypse Now shot less. Wow. And… and we, uh, Michael, actually threw a party to celebrate when we surpassed the footage that Coppola had shot on Apocalypse. And it was, it <laughs> oh was crazy. Oh it my was god! It was all crazy. But but here's the thing: I was present on the side of a mountain for the moment that, in my opinion, and this is not in the book. Uh-huh. You know, uh, final, final, cut. final cut. It's not in the book because there were a handful of us who were on the side of this mountain. It was my death scene in the movie. Yeah, Cully. a great scene. Yeah. And, um, and, um, and we were out in the back of beyond. We were way out in, in uh, uh, Glacier National Park. Um, uh, literally, it was a two-hour drive to the base camp and another 45-minute drive or horseback ride uh either that or uh, four wheel drive into the where we were actually shooting it was so remote and and Michael of course went back and forth by helicopter but but we we all uh, made that schlep. um and um so what happened was um oh god i just blanked on his name the guy who had become head of ua at that moment was it begelman
2: david begelman Be- Be- begelman yes begelman
1: so um, so David Beagleman, who, who had just been made like the head of production for UA, I forget exactly, or for MGM UA, um, uh, he had flown out because um, we were so behind schedule that um, the scene which opens the movie Heaven's Gate, which was supposed to shoot at Harvard,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Harvard was not allow, going to allow us to shoot there because another film called a small circle of friends had shot there um, and apparently trashed the place. And Harvard said they would not allow another film in. So when we lost Harvard, and we were going to, by the way, we were going to shut down in Montana. They were going to go and shoot the Harvard stuff and then come back because they needed spring because it was a graduation ceremony. So instead, they go looking for a place to shoot. Now, William and Mary College was of the same era as Harvard, and very similar architecture. They were both kind of modeled on some of the colleges at Oxford. So, And the the setting was supposed to be Oxford, by the way. Mm -hmm. So they went, they scouted. Michael was so pissed off about losing Harvard. And he was, like I said, at this point, he was like out of control. He... He said, I'm, I'm not going to this uh, William and Mary, which is in Virginia, I believe, and where where it was going to be green a lot longer or a lot earlier, I forget. So Michael, Michael said, we're going to go to England and shoot. And they said, you're not going to England. He said, oh, yes, we are. And what we're going to do is we're going to shut down, we're going to go there, and then we're going to come back and finish the picture, which is exactly what happened but beagleman flew out to tell him he couldn't do it and i'm standing there with (laughs) with a squib in my forehead with a false ear on that's going to get blown off with another squib i got blood packs all over my body i'm getting ready to have the shit shot out of me and they're having this conversation right next to me with joanne corelli who's the producer of the film and they're trying to say michael you can't do this listen and, and Michael turns to him and he says, look, I'm doing it. And if you don't like it, you can, you can take me off the picture. That's fine. But then it won't be a Michael Cimino film. And I'm standing there having lived through the last four and a half weeks with this <laughs> madness. And all I'm thinking is, say, that'll be just fine, Michael. That's what I'm thinking. Beagleman has to say these words that'll be okay, Michael. You don't want it to be a Michael Cimino film. It won't be a Michael Cimino film. But instead he said, oh, no, no, that's not what we want. And boom, they went to Harvard, everything. And it went to $50 million. And and it became this, the reason it was thought of as such a catastrophe is Michael wouldn't let anybody see the movie Mm -hmm. until it opened. And Coppola, bless his heart, showed this to every director that he had any respect for. They gave him notes. He did sneak previews and did audience feedback. What didn't you understand? What did you understand? Recut, went reshot, later later in the 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 entire narration was a result of it not making any sense. You mean, apocalypse,
2: of, you mean apocalypse now? Yeah, apocalypse yeah, now. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, Coppola.
2: Yeah. Michael didn't do any of that.
1: And right. he fired Tom Rolf, one of the great editors of our of my generation. You know of the time where I lived through. Mm-hmm. He fired him because Tom wouldn't do crazy stuff that he wanted him to do. Um, so, P.S. S- that a, was that was heaven's gate.
2: There's a lot to like about the film, and you're you're very proud of your performance.
1: I'm very proud of my As performance. I, I think. I think Isabel Huppert is breathtaking yeah, in the movie. Yeah. Jeff uh, uh, Bridges. Jeff Bridges is great. Yeah, Jeff and Ridley. I'll tell you something else. I think Chris Christofferson is wonderful in this film. Um there's there's a little bit of uh, Michael kind of fell into this Russian rhythm when he was putting the film together. Mm-hmm. So everything became incredibly extended. And there was some of it that didn't serve Chris, but, but he's really, 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 he has some absolutely great moments in the film. And the whole rest of the cast, it was a wonderful group of people.
2: And a beautiful movie to look at.
1: Yes. And yeah. I think Vilma Sigmund, if not his absolute best, one of the two best things he ever and, shot.
2: And you've said that he was in, and Gilbert, you know, we appreciate these films Peck and Paw, John Ford that right. that you've said in interviews, that that's what he was trying to do. He, he wanted, was he,
1: absolutely he he listened uh Bobby Vesiglia, I can't believe I'm remembering this stuff. Bobby Vesiglia, <laughs> you guys are like you nice guys job. are like for me. Uh-huh. It's called previgen. Yeah. The, the uh-huh. stuff made yeah. out of jellyfish. Yeah, yeah. It's, I'm remembering things. Uh, Bobby Vesiglia, who was the prop master had been uh puss prop master on two of his films which is why Michael hired him. Um, but here's how crazy it was. I there's a scene where the uh, the train pulls up and um, and and Chris gets off the train. It's my big scene in the movie yeah. and one of my big scenes. And anyway, these kids come up to me and they're hustling me for change. And I take some change out of my pocket and I give it to them. The change in my pocket had to be pre 1893. And Michael asked to see it.
2: Oh, man. There couldn't
1: be a coin in my pocket that wasn't legitimate. I mean, it was madness. Obsessiveness. No one ever saw the stuff. We had a vegetable uh, market, fruit and vegetable market set up in the broiling hot sun in, in, uh, um, in uh, Wallace, Idaho, uh, where we shot this big scene that sat there for days and days and the food would and 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 bobby said let me put uh, wax and and plastic out you'll never know the difference and michael said i want fresh fruit and vegetables we burned up and 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 rotted days and days worth of fresh fruit and vegetables every Every day it was craziness.
2: Just Amazing. Amazing. Madness. Pe- people should read the book, see the movie yeah. Yeah. and also yeah. and also read Final Cut. Yeah. Yeah. But
1: it's a but I I think it's a really outstanding me, film in many ways.
3: Me too. Me too. It has been called the most controversial motion picture of its time. It is the most talked about and written about film of the decade. Now, from the director of The Deer Hunter. United Artists presents. Michael Cimino's Heaven's Gate. The story of Jim Averill. He was born into the world of the rich and powerful, but his heart and dreams were with the people. Heaven's Gate. The story of a man's love for a woman, for a people, for a land, for a spirit. That would never die. Chris Christofferson in Michael Cimino's Heaven's Gate. We will return to Gilbert
0: Gottfried's Amazing Colossal podcast after this.
3: I'm sure you all recognize that lovely melody Call of the Faraway Hills from the classic film Shane. But did you know that film star was rumored to indulge in a particular chicken fetish? So many great stars of yesteryear have been immortalized on the Amazing Colossal podcast. And now, the good people at AmazingColossalMerch.com have gathered together an indispensable collection of must-have merchandise and memorabilia celebrating some of the program's best-loved catchphrases and celebrity urban legends. You'll get... The Hollywood Rumor Orange Wedge Magnet and Protective Mask. The Chico Needed the Money Collectible Enamel Pin. The Hollywood Rumor Horny Chimpanzee Magnet. The Hollywood Rumor Hookah Helicopter Magnet. The Found Dead in His Hollywood Apartment Collectible Enamel Pin. And much more. Ah, These items are priceless companions to the podcast that will enrich every home. But there's a great deal more. You can also get our amazing Colossal Secret Society membership kit, including membership card and accompanying sexy chicken button. You've simply got to have it. Yes, here's a unique opportunity to own a complete collection of the world's most exclusive and original podcast merchandise. But these items are not available in stores, so order now at amazingcolossalmerch.com.
2: Now, going from the sublime to the ridiculous, do you remember? And I'm, I'm indulging uh, listeners here. There's a gentleman named Lucifer Sam who says, "I love Richard's work." Uh, can he tell us anything at all that he remembers about the comedy, the All Star Comedy Scavenger Hunt?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. that's the thing I I was talking about before we started, where I said I meant to tell you to look at this film. This was a great. I, this guy, I got. I'm blanking on his name. He was the producer of the film and the writer as well. He wanted to do a remake, oh, uh, not not a remake, but a, a version of "It's a Mad, 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 Mad World." That mm-hmm. was his idea. Mm-hmm. So he it was a hell's a pop and crazy, right? Right. And it was set up that that um, um, uh, 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 Vincent Price was the guy. He was like Milton Bradley. Okay, he was the guy. He ran this big toy company. The opening scene is he's on his deathbed and he he dies and he hands his last will and testament to this nurse is in this very kind of sexy nurse outfit. I, um, anyway, then they do a reading of the will, and, and there are all these weird people there. There's a cab driver. There's uh, a guy with two young children. There's all these people, all who have some relationship to this man. And me, Cloris Leachman, and Richard Benjamin, and uh, we are um, his grandson, his daughter, and, um, and our lawyer, Richard Benjamin. So I was the grandson. I modeled this character. His name also was Clifford, I think. Um, yes, it was Clifford. I played two Cliffords. Um, and uh, he modeled this character. I modeled this character after a little boy who lived next to me where I lived in L.A., whose name was Nicky. And Nicky <laughs> was this little... You know, he would run around Screaming at the top of his lungs He would pick he pick You know, he was picking his underwear Out of his ass all the time <laughs> And he had this face That he would make where he'd stick his jaw Out, he'd like look at you and go What? What? So this crazy Kind of, and, and uh, he didn't wear Thick glasses, but I had to make me Glasses that were so thick I couldn't See through them, they were horrible uh, even though they were clear glass, they were just it was like literally looking through the bottom of a Coke bottle, and I just, I just played this entire thing like like a four like a four year old, which is what Dickie was, uh, but in a thirty some odd year old body. Now, Scavenger Hunt, this ties into Heaven's Gate. Scavenger Hunt um, uh, was the movie I was making. When I was uh, when when I uh, I was signed to make I, I should say I was already uh, committed to make it. When I went in to read for Heaven's Gate, I read for Heaven's Gate, not the part they sent me there for. I read this other guy who was supposed to be a sixty-five-year-old Irishman, and instead I read it, and I was a thirty-two-year-old Irishman, mm-hmm. whatever I was. So, um, um, and and then. I get offered the the, the thing, and i never seen the whole script. I get sent the script, and I get offered it while I'm on location on Scavenger Hunt. And the problem is my start date is three days before I'm scheduled to finish Scavenger Hunt. So I'm about to lose Heaven's Gate because I'm doing this the Scavenger Hunt. <laughs> and... <laughs> so my agent calls them up and they said, "Look, he, is there any chance you can push his start date back?" And they had started shooting the movie and they were already 2 weeks behind. They said, "Not a problem, not a problem. He can come 3 days later, it's not a problem," which made me so happy. That's oh, cool. I'm glad but, you didn't but, miss but, out. Yeah. But uh, anyway, but uh, so Scavenger Hunt was maniacal. It was all these great people. It was Robert Morley and and James uh,
2: Coco the
1: Jimmy Coco yeah. and Cleavon Little and Stephanie Farisey Tony and, Randall uh, Ruth Gordon. to Tony, Tony Randall um um uh what's his name oh god um
2: I'll read you the cast Roddy yeah, McDowell yeah. Scatman yeah. Jimmy Coco right. Cleavon Little uh Richard Mulligan Right Mulligan
1: oh my god he was he Pat was Pat so McCormick cool. Yeah th- th- and oh yeah Pat
2: Jesus. Did you, do you have it. any memories of these people? And, but oh, I, say well, these... I have
1: right. very vivid memories. I could do an hour on just this shoot. I probably, <laughs> because part of the scene, we, we were all on a scavenger hunt in these different teams because we were mm-hmm. all competing with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, though though, in the reading of the will, what, what he says is if you won, you can all get together and agree to share and you can all have a piece of the estate. But if you want to compete for it here's what you have to collect so it it, it was craziness and chloris who was a great actress i mean a great actress one of the funniest people she's just great a great act treasure also can be really challenging and 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 uh, richard benjamin and i regularly kept each other one of the or the other of us would be holding the other one back when the other one wanted to go after Clarence, uh, Clarence physically <laughs> because something something was going on. And Michael Schultz, who directed it, who yeah. was, who had done this wonderful movie called Car Wash, sure, um, and and did other good movies. Cooley High, yeah, he was absolutely not the right guy to do this because he was not a a manager of crazy people and uh-huh. we were crazy people all of us
2: uh-huh. so
1: when we when we at the end of the hunt we are all together we were on the estate in um um oh god in pasadena that amazing estate where the blue boy is uh
2: oh well the, is that the huntington uh, the huntington huntington thanks, gardens
1: yes. yeah. yeah we were we were out there shooting that was the 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 mansion and there were all these roped off areas but we had we had three ostriches, we had um you know all kinds of weird things that we had to collect and put in our individual pens and There was a lot of downtime and so we were all sitting together for like four or five days while we were shooting this and i I can't even tell you what that experience was like. I would sit there looking. Robert Morley had eyebrows that were three inches long. I've never seen anything <laughs> like this in my life. And I kept looking at him and saying, How do you make that happen? And he said, It just happens. No. And I said, No, but but I mean, I've never seen anything like this. He said, Well, they're false. I put them on every morning. And I said, Really? And he said, Yes. I said, No. He said, Yes and i I said, "May I?" He said "Yes," and I went to pull them. He said, "No, they're real, you know, so I love was, that. I had dinner with him one night at a at an Italian restaurant in Hollywood. I forget the name of it, and it was one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had and And I was driving a Porsche, which was a real challenge for Morley to get into and out of. And when he left, apparently. His cigar. He had this lovely leather cigar case, and apparently it fell out of his pocket. And I found it two days later. And we were all gone. And I sent it to him in England. And he wrote me this beautiful note, thanking me for it because it meant a lot to him. Anyway. That's sweet.
2: We were just talking about Robert Morley. Remember Gilbert?
0: Oh, the, uh, the, uh, he the, was the, in uh, one of those Vincent Price comedies.
2: Yeah. Well, did you? Did you? Comedies. Did you interact with Price directly? Richard? No, no, uh, he
1: only, uh, he worked the one day and it was, just, uh, it was just him and the crew and the nurse.
2: How about Pat McCormick, just because w- this is... Oh,
0: okay.
2: <laughs> Madness. We, we know Madness. what show we're on. You, Madness. You, you, you were in another movie with him. Yes. You were uh, uh, in that Richard Widmark, Western. Yes, yes. Uh, Tom Horn, yeah. or Mr. Horn. Me, yeah. Yeah, Mr. Horn, Mr. Yeah. Horn.
1: And uh, yeah, the, that we came out before Tom Horn, which was the Steve McQueen version. Right. Uh, we did the... Uh, Car- David Carradine version.
2: What do you remember about Pat? Anything in particular? I
1: I had several drinks with him um, <laughs> on, on 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 more than one occasion, um, and other things. Um, he he was one of, one of the funniest people I've ever been near in my life. You you knew him, Gilbert, right?
0: Uh no. Oh, no, wow. actually... okay.
1: He was really he was one of them, and he told me this amazing thing about writing. No matter how absolutely shit-faced blotto he got of an evening, he would get up every morning at 6 o'clock and write between 6 and 9 o'clock every morning. He wanted to get it out of the way, and it was his commitment to his art, I guess. He didn't express it that way. but. The idea of this guy being able to get out of bed, it's, I never could have gotten out <laughs> at six in the morning if I wasn't being paid to do it. And, and I, I don't know that he did it every day while we were shooting, but I, he, he probably wrote as long as he could before he had to go to work. I bet he got up at six o'clock every morning. And I was so amazed by that. I just, I couldn't get over it.
0: Now, what actor have you worked with where you thought I can't believe I'm standing next to this guy
1: oh a whole a whole raft of them Robert Preston one of my first movies um uh, well, my first movie I worked with Lana Turner that was amazing um uh, a film that nobody ever saw, but my first real movie I counted as my first real movie was semi tough and and i played Preston played the guy who who owned the football team mm-hmm. Jill Clayburg played um uh her her his daughter. Um Burt Reynolds was the star uh quarterback and and uh and Chris Christofferson was the was the wide receiver. And um and I only had eyes for Preston. I was so am- amazingly impressed with him. And one day, uh, here, yeah, and you, you you've been on film sets, you will appreciate this. One day Burt had a um, um, had a bus that had been converted into a trailer because Dolly Parton had a bus and he had worked with her. Um, or no, he had met her. He hadn't worked with her yet. And he had he had uh, the same conversion done because she she had a bus that was converted into a, a trailer. But it was also uh, the bus that she toured in. He didn't need a bus to tour in. But anyway, he had this giant thing jill and chris each had very big trailers back in the day when they were very big trailers and preston was in the honey wagon in a two banger which is to say he had two honey wagon rooms next to each other and for those people listening who don't know what it is a honey wagon is a series of small dressing rooms with individual staircases on a trailer on a 40-foot trailer and then there's a bathroom in some of them, and and then there's a there's a men's room and a and a and a, 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 a ladies room that's also that are separate uh, in some part of the honey wagon. So Preston had two two adjoining rooms that they took the adjoining thing out from, so he had a little bit more space. But he was in the fucking honey wagon. <laughs> so one day we had been shooting at this point for maybe. Seven or eight weeks in Texas, where it was so cold, it was unbelievable—the coldest I've ever been in my life. And 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 this was before down really was a big thing. And this was uh, seventy-six. And Burt Reynolds had this featherweight, huge Eddie Bauer down jacket that the, that his dresser would come and throw over his shoulders whenever they cut. And I had bought, because I went to Texas thinking that weather was going to be relatively mild and it was so cold. I had gone to a mall and bought a sheepskin coat that, you know, like a Marlboro Man coat that weighed about a thousand pounds, which, and what we had to do was we'd all, we'd take our clothes off, we'd suck ice cubes so we weren't blowing smoke all over the place. And we'd shoot these scenes that were set in Miami in the, in the in, you know, uh, so- Instead, now we're in Long Beach and we're shooting a scene that's set, of course, in Green Bay, Wisconsin in the middle of the winter. So Uh we're all bundled up. And every day, uh, Michael Ritchie, who directed the film, was very, I don't know if he was influenced by Robert Altman, but he, Hal Ashby, Altman, they, Mm -hmm. they all were doing similar things in that they would bring in lots of cast members not necessarily people who were scheduled to be in a scene and sometimes you just throw you into the background of a scene have you walk through whatever so we got called pretty much every day so we're sitting there and sometimes we didn't work you know we'd come we'd get suited up we'd get in makeup and we'd sit around then they'd send us home so we're there one day and and pressed and as always he's all buttoned up he's got his tie on he's all didn't matter the weather. He's sitting on this uh, director's chair out in front of the honey wagon, reading a newspaper. <laughs> and it's seven thirty in the morning. You know we've all been there for an hour anyway. And I go up to him and I say, "Press, I got to ask you something. I mean, you're—I I, look—I'm a schlepper from nowhere. I understand. Michael brings me in. I sit around all day. I don't work. It's no big deal. But you're Robert fucking Preston." I, I don't understand this. And he looks at me, he says, kid, they're paying me a lot of money. If they want to pay me to sit here and read the paper, I'm delighted to do it. And that was his whole, because he came up in the studio system. I First of all, I was so enamored of him. I thought he was I, not my kind of actor in that I could never do this stuff. Spencer Tracy was my idol uh-huh. and Gene Hackman. Uh, when I worked with Hackman, I was the most nervous I've ever been because I so he's what, who I wanted to be when I grew up because um, Tracy was my idol and Hackman in my mind was the closest to Tracy I had ever seen. Where wow. where 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 a guy would be so completely natural while also having this ability to em- embody so many different characters. And with the possible exception of Meryl Streep, I think those two guys are, disappear more into their roles than anyone I've ever seen. When you seen.
2: work with Hackman on Under Fire, did you tell him that? Did you I, tell him? I, what,
1: what happened with Hackman was I met him at uh, Roger Spotswood, the director, through a party in LA before we all went to Mexico to shoot the film. I uh, had a dinner so we could all meet each other. And- I introduced myself to Hackman. I was playing this uh this PR guy for Anastasio Somosa and he was playing this reporter. Mm-hmm. And he just he went oh hi, you know, and kind of didn't give me much attention. Oh, by the way, I want to jump back to um Preston because this is where I really fell in love with Preston. Um the first read through of um of um tef uh, we were we we did in the locker room uh, at Texas Stadium, uh, where the Longhorns play, which is where we shot the football stuff. And they'd cleared out the locker room, set up a big table, and we did the read through there. And when when we were all meeting and greeting coming in, um, at one point, Preston came in, and Michael Ritchie went over to say hello, and then he waved me over. I came over, and he said to Preston, he said. So tell me, is this how you pictured Hooper, which was the character's name? And Preston says to him, "Well, ever since you told me who was playing it, yeah." Oh, that's sweet. I and mean, this was the most unbelievably generous. Very thing. nice. I, I, I couldn't imagine anybody in so few words communicating more about. I know who he is. I like his work. He's my peer. I this coming from this guy yeah, who had icon. a forty-year career at that point. I mean, it was extraordinary. That's,
2: that's very um, generous.
1: That's who he was. So anyway, but but Hackman, I I the first scene I had uh, in the film was with was with Gene, and it was this crazy film where uh, this crazy scene where this uh, building is just blown up, and there and I'm in the press room and I'm trying to flack everybody and get them not to tell bad stories about what just happened or maybe bury it. And so I have this interaction with Hackman where I introduce myself and, you know, and, uh, and, and he says, you know, yeah, okay, good to meet you. He's very busy. He's not interested in me, blah, blah, blah. We do the rehearsal of the scene. And this is the key thing. He had not said two words to me. He had not acknowledged my existence until we did this rehearsal. After we did the rehearsal, I went off to smoke a cigarette, whatever. And Hackman said, "Uh, where are you going? I said, well, I'm just going to have a smoke. He said, well, come here. So we walked off to the side. I I lit the cigarette. And he said, so, and he starts chatting me up. And I'm sitting there. I'm talking to him. I said, what is this about? The man has stiffed me totally at at the party. And every time in the hotel, I see him. And he hasn't said two words to me. What is this about? And I realized he didn't didn't know my character. He wanted to feel what it was like in this scene not to know me and have the reaction he had to me just so he would feel what that felt like. That's great. And I asked him about that later. I said, is that what happened? He said, yeah. I I mean it was it was amazing, and I did tell him that he was who I wanted to be when I grew up, and I told him that I thought, uh, you know, you can't do too much of that, or you look like sure. an asshole. But but sure. I told him I I thought he was. Um, well, I think many people, even though, you know, they they don't they don't. He has just done. He's got such an amazing body of work, and all of it. I mean, just go watch the two French Connection movies and just jump off a bridge. You know, I mean, yeah. How can you be an actor after you see that? No, I, you know, who, who does that? <laughs> who does that? Who's who's that good? You know, he's, I I, as I said, favorite. with the possible exception of Meryl, um, you know, who is a Martian. So she doesn't count like the rest of us. because. right. She becomes anything she wants to become in some. Right. and you got to wor-
2: and you got to work with her too.
1: Yes, and Jack also that was right in
2: Heartburn. We should tell our listeners all very intimidating.
1: In fact, I I met Jack. I don't remember the director, but I met a director right after Heartburn had come out. I met him for another feature, and he said, L- man, I just saw Heartburn. I gotta tell you, kudos. You know, you're you're in there with Jack Nicholson, Meryl Streep, Stockard Channing, and you." Totally fit in, not the least bit out of place. You know, kudos. And I said, "Yeah, that's my job, isn't it?" I mean, like, <laughs> you know, and Stockard and I, of course, had quite by kismet had ended up in Heartburn. Uh, yeah. Heartburn. You know, she, she wasn't originally in the movie. Um, originally, it was um, it was Diana Scarwood. Mm-hmm. Uh, who played who was playing that role and mandy Patinkin was playing jack's part
2: famously yeah there's an article yeah. about that in uh new, in new york magazine
1: right and and currently and, and and i was and i i rehearsed with the two of them for the entire rehearsal period they started shooting and then mandy left the film and mm-hmm.
2: uh is carl bernstein pissed off at you too now richard Oh, that, that it wasn't <laughs> Oh you know, No, that, that that the film was made at all.
1: <laughs> oh, God, I don't know. I, who gives a shit? I mean, from everything I I know about Carl from Nora, which, For granted, is not of necessarily... Course.
2: Of course.
3: There's 200 million people in America. 100 million of them are men. They lose four socks a year, conservatively. I lose 10 myself. That's 400 hundred million missing socks. Missing forever. Where are they? Nobody ever sees them again. (laughs) You think you'd run into one of them every once in a while?
1: They're in heaven. (laughs) You die, you go to heaven, and they give you this big box with all your missing socks and mufflers in it, and you get to spend eternity sorting it out.
3: And why is there only one shoe left in the road? Where is the other shoe?
1: Why is the cold water in the bathroom always colder than the cold water in the kitchen? So I'll just close the circle on that, which is that I got to be in lucky guy it was a real personal delight to me because I I didn't I never worked with Nora from that from Heartburn until you know she never had me in a film she directed yeah it just happens but I got to be in. In Lucky Guy, which she wrote, so that was really. Strange. I was
2: watching Heartburn with the wife the other night, and we were we were both. It's it's very good. It's and, great, and of course, you got Meryl, to work with again, Mike Nichols Meryl, too.
1: By the way, Meryl was pregnant, mm-hmm. and um, when she was doing that, and she didn't know she was pregnant at the beginning, and she was she had terrible morning sickness, but she had just come back from doing out of Africa, and she thought she had picked up a bug, and they were treating her for an amoebic infection, which she didn't have. She was just pregnant. But when we shot the scene, you know, every scene in the movie, we're eating. And so Meryl mm-hmm, had to pretty do much. that in this almost constant state of nausea. No, every scene we were eating. There wasn't this. Oh, that's there's why the, it was there, called there's, there,
2: Yeah, there's the cookout and there's the, there's the yeah, backyard of so the house. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right, right. When we're yeah. all
1: together, we're always eating. Good and, flick. Uh, when we did the lobster eating scene, um that's uh, Meryl was schlepping all these lobsters and there was so much lobster smell in the air. And I think she puked twice during the scene. Oh
2: my God. Yeah. Yeah. Good movie. And Nora Ephron left us too, too, uh, too soon. Yes. She had a lot left to contribute. Gil, uh, this is a story that you'll enjoy. And we, as we run out of time here, Richard, I just want you to tell Gilbert what, uh, what Sally Struthers method was that she taught you? If you, if there was a take that you didn't care for,
1: okay, just that, or should I tell? Yeah, them just the, t- tell tell that
2: because there's a couple. Should I tell of, the
1: All in the Family story that you it didn't it get the edit?
2: It, we don't have time for it? But we'll. But I want to ask you another couple of quick things. Oh, okay, we'll probably um, run so, out of time.
1: So when we, um, when I went to shoot the All in the Family, uh, just before you know, I was really nervous. Uh, I'd been rehearsing for four days, but uh, now we were going to shoot in front of an audience and. And Sally said to me, look, if it isn't going the way you want it to go, just say fuck. And then they'll stop and we'll go back. (laughs) And so I came out um, and something, you know, I don't even remember what happened. I don't know that anything happened. I just wanted to see if it would work. I went, fuck. Oh, I'm sorry. And they stopped and they reset. We came back in and the audience always loved it. And. Uh, When I did half hour shows after that, very often I would, I would blow up, I would blow it up so that the audience could release their tension and, and really get into enjoying the show because then they become part of the process. Right. Um, um, That, anyway. uh, Gil, why don't you
2: try that? Why don't you try that on a set, Gil? (laughs) (laughs) If if you don't like a take.
0: Yeah, with me, you have to stop me from saying fuck all the time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Rick, Richard, as we run out of time quick, I'm going to give you your choice. Uh, e- either a quick story about The Thing, which a lot of our listeners uh, recommended, if you have a quick one. We yeah. love those actors. We just lost uh, Wilfred Brimley, Yes. by the way, and we just lost Ennio Morricone, by the way. Yeah. Uh, or, or a quick something about Potier, who you worked with in the terrific shoot to kill
1: well i I will very quickly say about Poitier one of the great gentlemen and also uh, also out of that same even though he came to it a little later that same mold that Preston was out of uh, just a consummate professional and the um, uh, quick thing about the thing okay um you know this scene there's a scene in the thing where Charlie uh, how cool uh, uh, no not uh, yeah, Charlie Hack, who also has passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, you know, where his chest opens up, and Richard Dysart, who's also passed away, is giving him a, 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 um, a CPR, and and the oh. chest opens up and then clamps down with teeth and cuts off Dysart's hands, uh, his arms, and then um, then Charlie's head kind of stretches, his neck stretches, and then falls off and then lands on the ground and 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 crab legs come out of his ears and his mm-hmm. eyes and his nose, mm-hmm. and the thing goes running out the door. So um, after this happens, David Clennon, a wonderful actor, um, has uh, who's this kind of stoner in the movie, uh, has this line where he goes, you got to be fucking kidding me, okay, when this happens. So we're shooting it and we're doing all the reaction shots and there's nothing there. You know, there's a guy pulling something along the floor. So we track it together with Mm -hmm. our eyes, but we're not seeing any of this stuff. And, you know, uh, Clennon says his line, it's a wide shot, blah, blah, blah. And then um, then um, um, Carpenter goes, "Okay, great, we got that. Uh, We're in the next set. And I said you're not going to shoot David? He said, what do you mean? I said, you're not going to shoot a close-up on David saying the line? He said, no, 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 no. I'm going to be on the head when that line hits. I said, you have to shoot David. The fuck is wrong with you, John? This is going to be the biggest, it was the biggest laugh in the movie. Uh He stayed there because I beat him up about it. And he shot David saying, you got to be fucking kidding me, in this big close-up which wasn't on the storyboard so John wasn't going to shoot it that way. And thank God he did because it's a wonderful wonderful moment.
2: It's a great moment. Well, just to get the actor's name right, to give him credit, the late Charles Hallahan. He Hallahan?
1: Said, what you I said say? Charlie
2: Hawk, who's a comedy sorry, writer, a writer who passed away. Yeah, yeah he just passed away last year, Charlie Yeah, Hawk. I,
1: knew, I knew that. That's why I mixed them up. Sorry.
2: Did you turn down E.T. to do the thing?
1: No, I did not.
2: Because but- that's, that's bullshit that's out there, huh?
1: No no no. Um here's here's the story. I went in to meet um I went in to meet um, um Spielberg uh, when they were casting Poltergeist. Uh-huh. He had he had um I had just done a film called um uh called uh, uh, Fallen Angel a TV movie where I played uh, a pedophile. Mm-hmm. And it was a very a wonderful tv movie i was very proud of that um uh, anyway um so spielberg they had sent over the casting people mike fenton and jane feinberg had sent over um uh you used to send a three-quarter inch tape that was queued up to where you wanted them to start watching Um, so they sent over uh, a scene with the queued up and spielberg started watching it went back to the beginning and watched the whole movie he was knocked out by the movie wow so i came in they handed me a script they had me they locked me in a room i read the movie then i came out and i went into spielberg's office he said you were so great in that movie richard you're just wonderful and we talked about that a little bit and then joe beth williams comes in she sits down we're introduced we sit there we chat the three of us for a while he thanks Joe Beth she gets up and she leaves and he looks at me he said yeah this isn't going to work out i'm sorry but this isn't and i said that's okay uh he said i'm doing another movie though and i think you'd be great for it there's a wonderful part i think you'd be great for and i i said oh, what's well, the part he said it's the scientist and and i it's it, it, you're you're really. I just think you'd be wonderful uh, in this role. Um, uh, I said, well, you know, I'm sitting on an offer. When I went to meet him for Poltergeist, I had the offer for The Thing already. I said, I'm sitting on an offer for this movie, and I'm not sure how long we can hold him off. He said, oh, God, oh, my God, no, no. He said, I haven't even cast the kid yet, um, and until I do that, I can't cast anybody else. So... No, I'm really sorry. It'll be at least a month before I'll know. And I said, well, when are you going to shoot? And he was going to shoot still within the schedule. He was going to start within the schedule. Of the uh, I see. And I said, oh, God, I don't know what to do. He said, no, you should take this other film because I can't guarantee this. So I did the thing. Then my friend, Peter Coyote, with whom I did Lyle Swan. Time oh, writer, yeah. Time Rider. Right. Which was his first movie. Peter got the role, and one of the few times in my life when I I love Peter, I think he's a wonderful actor, I would have been better in that part. I I mean, just (laughs) because, not not because of the acting, but because my physical presence was so much more intimidating than his, because you see him as a presence way before you actually see him than when you actually see him he turns into this really kind of caring guy, which is why Spielberg thought I would be really good in this, that I could be scary and also I see. caring. So anyway, but no, and, and to be honest, I i mean, I, I, when Steven had, had, had sent me the offer to do, uh, when they sent me the offer, rather, to do um, uh, The Amazing Stories, that was Steven's. Amazing Falworth, yeah, yeah, and and uh, but it wasn't actually. I don't know that it was Stephen, though. Of course, he he approved it, but uh, Peter Himes, who directed right. it. I'd done another film, Hanover Street, right, right. and so I think Peter cast.
2: We got to get Peter Hyams. Peter Hyams is on Facebook. We got to get him on this uh, podcast.
1: Yeah, you should. We made uh, some Peter, great movies. Yeah, and Peter can. Uh, you think I can talk? Peter can really. Well,
2: talk. I love Outland, I have, and I, I love uh, Capricorn One. Oh yeah, we got to yeah. get him on here. Yeah, and and we'll recommend
1: Mom's mom, Mom's on the roof. Right. Yeah. Right. Do you remember We're,
2: that? Yes. Yeah. We'll recommend your uh, your new movie too, uh, which yes, uh, it's
1: it's a really sweet um, um, before, during, after. It's yeah, a it's really very good. Sweet. Uh, a labor of love. Everybody in it. Um, we all did it because we love finity and we. Um, love what was in the film.
2: Vinity Steves. Yeah. Yeah. She did a great job.
1: Yeah. And, uh, she wrote it, she stars in it, she, you know, she's the whole story. So, um, and it's really, I think a little bit, unfortunately, biographical, but, um, uh, it was a lot of fun i i only worked for a day on it but it was a lot of fun and so many wonderful people that
2: you got to be you're with. getting a lot of those uh, weirdo uh, uh characters at this stage of your career i, I noticed I, the, le- the the character you played on girls too <laughs> oh girls oh yeah. yeah but
1: but what about did you ever see i don't know you didn't mention this but um uh, um 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 uh what's it called oh god oh god um uh younger did you
2: uh, no haven't seen I, it
1: but I will. Oh my god. It, it I played the most insane character. It was so much fun. In uh in younger um and um uh, um it's a really uh, wonderful wonderful show. Um uh, that was I think it was on um uh, TV Land, yeah. Okay. It was an
2: original TV Land. Look for it. Richard, you've got one of those careers. I say this to sometimes to uh, to guests, but it, it's really true in your case. It's very hard to get your arms around this career. Your your IMDB page is intimidating.
1: Well I you, wish you, it were I, I wish it were more intimidating recently, but it <laughs> but, but but it is but it is intimidating. Yeah.
2: Fifty years. Yeah. How how many how many actors get to work this consistently and do this much uh, wonderful work for fifty years, for five and, decades? You're you're you know
1: and as I'm very and I didn't start as a kid, you know, like Richard Thomas has got me beat and so sure. a bunch of other people sure. who, who who started G- as kids. But I didn't start as a kid. I I was a fully formed twenty something.
2: Gilbert's got you beat. He started his career at fifteen. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, Barry Gordon, who I followed into Screen Actors Guild Presidency.
0: We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing Colossal Podcast. But first, a word from our sponsor.
2: So find Richard in the new movie, uh, Before, During and After, and uh, Younger, which he just talked about. And also great work on Board to Death and Transparent uh, with our friend Jeffrey Tambor and Orange is the New Black and there's so much there to sink. And who'll and, uh, stop the rain. And you can if you can find Scavenger Hunt, which I can't find. <laughs> some of these, oh, it's actually, some of these it, movies are hard to find.
1: I think uh, somebody told me they did find Scavenger Hunt someplace. I don't remember where. Uh, oh, but and Mr. Boogity. I just want to just put in a quick word on sure. Mr. Boogity. Uh, when, when Michael Eisner took over Disney, one of his goals was to uh uh revitalized the disney uh movie the disney sunday night movie and one of the first um films that we did was this thing called mr boogity which was a a halloween horror movie for kids and it was a real disney kind of movie and and um um um, I'm trying to remember. John Aston was in it. Oh, we love John Aston. He was and, here. <laughs> yeah, and a bunch of other people. Uh, anyway, so it was just, I mean, it was just silly fun. It was an hour long. <laughs> and Michael loved the movie so much. It was his favorite movie of the first season that he commissioned a two-hour sequel called The Bride of Boogity, which, you know, as... Very often happens, you know, just went a little further than it needed to. Um, but it was still a great movie. And there's a whole there's a whole demographic of mostly boys, but also girls who grew up watching this movie every Halloween on burned. They still have um, VHS players so they can still play their copy Wow, of Mr. Boogity. Mr. Boogity is now out. Disney finally released it, uh, the two Mr. Boogity movies.
2: Eugene and Levy, too, is yeah, it? Yeah, Eugene was yeah, in, yeah. in yeah.
1: The Bride of Boogity. Yeah. Oh, okay. He, he, he took over the part that, uh, well, the equivalent of the part that uh, Aston played in the first one. Right, right. And he was great. And uh, and Christy Swanson, who who was the original Buffy the Vampire Slayer, she played my daughter in that. And, and David uh, Faustino who was, uh, went sure. on to fame and infamy, uh, you know, later in his life. Um, yeah. I've, married I've,
2: with children.
1: That's right. I've, you, I've fathered many, many, many
2: people on-, on You that. have done everything. And the next time we talk to you, we're just going to talk about the, all the great character actors that you worked with too. Yeah. Not only people like Clennon and, and Wilfred Brimley, but, you know, it's a, it's a very, very long list. Barnard Hughes and Anthony Zerbe and Donald Moffat and Richard Dysart and Charles Lane and LQ Jones and Harry Gardino. These, yeah. these are, you know, th- this show, this is the life's blood of American cinema. Listen, I did, a, I,
1: I did a film called um, Wild Horses, uh, which was a Kenny Rogers movie. I remember that picture. Which, which one yeah. I was I was offered the movie and my I said, what is it? And, and my agent said, it's a Kenny Rogers film. And I said, pass. I didn't know Kenny at the time. And that's, if I had known him, I would not have said pass. Mm-hmm. But I, and, and I said, wait, wait, who else is in it? And she said, she said Ben Johnson and Richard Farnsworth. I said, I'll do it. Oh. She said, you don't want to read it? I said, do I work with them? And she said, yes. I said, I'll do it. Because the chance to work with those two guys. Of course. And after the first day of shoot where I did my entry scene, where, which is with the two of them. I'm out there like acting my brains out and the two of them are just standing there talking to me like they were talking to me five minutes earlier. They, there was not a whit of difference, you know, and 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 I, we had a, a party that night. It was the end of the first week on the Stood Ranch in Wyoming. And I went up to Dick Lowry, the director, uh, on the way to the party. And I said, what the fuck is that about, man? You know, I'm out there. I'm working my ass off. And these two guys are just standing there talking. And they're so much more interesting than I could ever (laughs) hope to be. And he looks at me and he says, yeah, but that's all they can do. And I just I thought that was so great, though I don't believe it. it. It is true that when there are certain things that only time makes happen and you do become you know quirks and weirdness, and that stuff does grow. I mean, even if you start off weird, like I did, like Gilbert did, you, you become more. You know, you become uh, uh, like Nicholson was was interesting and weird, and then he was weirder and weirder. Mm-hmm. Or, or, I mean, some of it is maybe not so good because it becomes too much. But um, I don't mean with Jack, but with me. But but it. it you can just be there more and more as you get older, because um, you realize also, I think, as time goes on, all the different people you play, even though some of them have to be outrageous or 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 very odd or whatever, they're they're basically all coming out of you, and and you can trust that, you know, and um you know it's not true that ben johnson was always the same and it's not true that richard well richard was more or less always the same but ben johnson was he was a great actor i i and that and and he taught me how to throw a rope
2: that's a cool thing the
1: world champion cowboy taught me how to throw a rope
2: big fan of those guys yeah yeah and farnsworth and the gray fox another movie people people should find
0: all right gil Okay, this has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre, and we've been talking we've been talking to the fine actor, Richard Masser. Thank you, Richard.
2: Thank you, Richard. I want to thank AJ Fuhrman too. Oh yes. For setting this up. We tried to do this for weeks, and we finally made it happen.
1: No, I'm so glad you guys stayed with me. I know it was. A, I couldn't do some of the dates, and then you couldn't do it. So, I'm really, I'm, I'm very happy that we got to do this. So I'm a big fan of yours, Gilbert, also, and uh, I'm. Um, I'm now a big fan of Frank's as well. You're and, so sweet. And John, you were, you were both great to do this with. And any you. time, if you want anything else from me, you know how to reach me. Okay. You,
2: you'll hear from us. And thank you. Uh, and yeah. <laughs> and th- thank you for helping so many people in the industry. Uh, well, okay. I'm not in SAG. I'm in the WGA. But as a pro-union man and a, and a member of this industry, thank you for what you've done. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it.